on today's episode, Mental Health for Running with Glenn Robbins. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Today's episode, we're talking about mental health, obviously, for the title of the podcast, uh, with Glenn Robbins. Glenn is an international lecturer, he's a physiotherapist, and he just finished speaking um, at the Therapy Expo on mental health and running. He has sent me a ton of links. We discuss a paper during our interview, and he sent me the link to that, which I'll include in the show notes. The title of that is A Scoping Review of the Relationship Between Running and Mental Health, and after his um, speaking event, he's now also sent me the link uh, to that talk and you can listen to that for free. And so there's the link in the show notes for that. So thanks so much, Glenn, for providing such a wealth of information and just additional resources um, on top of this great episode that we're going to talk about. And we dive into the positive health benefits, both physical and mental when it comes to running and the psychological boost, what's actually happening within the body. Um, we also talk about the impact of mental health when you're injured and unable to run and how that can have a, an effect on your well-being. And I've seen a lot in the past people who solely rely on running for their mental well-being and then get injured and have lost that avenue and can find themselves in a really sticky situation. So Glenn and I dive into that particular scenario and with the purpose to help you if you find yourself in that situation, but it's a wealth of information. It's, it's great knowledge base. Uh, and I was lucky to have Glenn on to have a chat. I'll include all his social media links in the show notes as well. And so if you want to learn more about Glenn or about mental health and running, you can go and check that out. Glenn Robbins. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I am um, reaching out to you and sort of, thinking about a topic, I hadn't necessarily covered one specifically on mental health before. And so I'm excited to dive into this one. If people aren't familiar with you, would you care to talk about like your career, your expertise and how you kind of found a particular interest in this? Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm a physiotherapist. I am the owner of a couple of clinics in the UK. Uh, my speciality is very much lower limb, so I deal primarily with hips, knees, foot and ankle, um, and a big part of my caseload for the last 10 plus years has been runners. Um, I've been teaching in that area, so I teach running courses, hip courses, knee courses, um, again for the past probably 
coming up to nine years. Um, and the running course has been a, a staple, really. It's been probably the most popular course that I've been involved in in that time. Um, yeah, had the pleasure of traveling over to your your part of the world, been to like Western Australia and all, all around Europe and places like that. And then um, obviously the lockdown hit uh, March 2020 and teaching kind of ground to a halt face to face at least. So I did some virtual courses and um, yeah, closed the clinic was closed for a few months and um, yeah, it's kind of made me look at running in a slightly different way so I'd always been interested in runners and, and treating runners and one of my favorite groups to treat but I'd never would classify myself as a runner so my background was more kind of strength and conditioning I used to come at it from that kind of angle really um, and the lockdown took all my sports away from me um, and left me in a position where I was not working I was at home I had um, two young kids that I now had to teach um, unable to train and, and and it made me sort of reflect on that a little bit really and realised that I used exercise to to manage my stress levels and mental health up until that point and running was the, the option open to me then so I started doing running in a more serious way running four times a week and different kinds of runs and ended up sort of running a half marathon during lockdown way too quickly for uh, someone that hadn't been running prior but yeah I, I started to experience what my runners had been telling me up to that point about the kind of the high that you get from running the way that it helps you manage your, your stress the effects it has on relaxation so yeah kind of kind of rounded off my my experience with running quite nicely in a in a in a strange kind of way and you have a talk on mental health and running uh is it upcoming or have you already done that that talk at the um the expo the therapy expert. Yes, yeah, so I did that yesterday uh, in Birmingham, and um, it went really well. And I'm also going to record that and distribute it. So I'll try and link that to the podcast as well, if, if um, that's of interest. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've obviously developed a, a particular interest with it. If you're now doing talks about it at expos, and I guess my first, whenever I have a podcast listener or um, someone who joins, say, the Facebook group. I like to throw in a message to say, how are you going? How's your running going? And a lot of them say, I run for mental health. And it's similar to your your case. You did it for like to manage stress and um, for that mental kind of well-being. My question is, why is it so deeply connected? Why is exercise in particular so deeply con connected to mental health and effect and may have positive benefits and... Um, yeah, why is that so ingrained? So, yes, yeah, so I think that's a great question. I think, you know, um, people also t always talk about this runner's high, right? So that's um, something that I'd heard for many years and now that I've experienced firsthand. But, um, yeah, running seems to be quite, not unique, I'd say. I think you can get it from other um, CV sports, but it seems to be a stronger effect with running when compared to, like, cycling or swimming, yeah, this um, this immediate sort of stress release that you get after uh, participating in a, a run. Um, and, you know, when you look at some of the research, it shows that it does actually act in many ways, like some drugs. It, you get an increase in your endogenous um, opioid system uh, production. You get an increase in your cannabinoid production as well. So there is a, a physiological high, if you like, 
um, that's associated with running and probably associated with many other sports as well. But I think running is also quite nicely placed for that role because you, it's quite convenient, isn't it? You can you can kind of do it at your own convenience. So people can use a run as well uh, a time when they're feeling particularly stressed. Whereas, you know, if you're playing football on a Saturday and you're stressed on a Tuesday, it's not much good to you at that point because there does seem to be a, a bit of a dose response as well that people get these effects kind of shortly after they've they've had the run. So um, I think it's a few reasons. I think, you know, it's quite it can be as intense as you want to make it. Um, it can be um, quite short and quite long. We could talk about that as well because it, um, some of the research suggests that you only have to do a 10-minute run um, to get a pretty profound effect as well. Um, so, you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck and you are getting these um, physiological reactions, uh, particularly in the brain, that are often elicited by other um, pleasure-seeking activities that we might do that are perhaps not so healthy for you as, as going for a run. My other thoughts, like, I, I love the explanation of, like, chemically what's happening and how it only just requires that minimal dose to have that effect. Um, my other things, I, I know some people run alone. I know some people run in groups. But for some that do have, who do like running with a family member or someone else or do, like, a park run and or just, like, small events and having the social aspect as well can be really important for mental health it goes without saying that if someone is being affected with their mental health that sometimes the social interactions can have extreme benefits absolutely yeah i mean i think that's a really good point as well i mean one of the aspects of the talk i gave yesterday was saying that the fact that park runs were closed in this country as well so a lot of people you were losing that um avenue as well uh, club running was even was even ceased you know so you couldn't run with your club anymore and if you look at certain things that are useful for managing mental health, so being outside in nature is one in 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 isolation. Um, being around a group, you know, kind of group activities seem to do quite well in that arena as well. And physical exercise. So if you if you're running with a club outside on the trails, it seems like a no-brainer that it would be a good combination. Mm. Um, yeah, a percentage of mine definitely get a massive benefit from the community side of things like the local running clubs to me they do social events it's not just about the running they meet up for for meals they do kind of charity events they they help each other out in other avenues so yeah i think you've raised a really good point there it's not just the chemicals in in the brain although they do seem to play some role as well yeah well that's obviously just going on in the background every time you go for a run whether it's social or not and not that i have much expertise around mental health but i can assume that goal setting and like accountability or having a plan for an event that's coming up and setting yourself a, a strategy around um, particular structures running three times a week and a weekend long run and developing as a runner and seeing the improvements and all of those can all just encompass the the actual act of running and i I don't want to like assume anything, but that like having a plan and having some goals and achieving those goals could obviously be um, a good thing for mental health. Yeah, it seems quite intuitive, doesn't it? That, you know, getting better at something, participating in it, discipline, um, t doing something that's a little bit difficult to do and getting to the end of it. You could, it's quite intuitive to see that, that that would most likely have a benefit on your, your mental well-being as well, particularly if that's a new addition to your lifestyle if that's uh, aspects of your life that perhaps you haven't um, been particularly good at prior as well mm. 
And if as like a, I guess, a direct intervention, if someone is particularly affected by mental health, depression, anxiety, are people like prescribing exercise or like encouraging things like running as a form of treatment in people's management? It's not just people run for mental health, but are they actively um, encouraging it within that population? That's an, I'm sure some are. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, a great question again, because I think you raised the point earlier. I mean, I'm not a mental health professional. Yeah, so if people are really struggling when they see me in the capacity of a physiotherapist, then it's important. I know my limitations there and I'm not going to try and just treat anyone with mental health issues by saying, I'll just go for a run and it'll be OK as well. You know, so um, we have to acknowledge that. Um, but one aspect you know, we, we do come across our clients that are going through stressful periods, that are having difficult times, and we do give them advice, of course. You know, um, that's something that I've reflected on after uh, researching for uh, this talk and these podcasts is a, a big percentage of my caseload has been runners, um, and a, a massive percentage of those use running as a, a tool for uh, relaxation, reducing stress, managing mental health. Um, when I get clients that are non-runners, that start expressing those concerns hasn't really been a go-to for me actually. So it's quite interesting. I, do, I have been encouraging them to exercise and you know sleep and mindfulness. And but if if I'm giving them advice historically, if I'm if I'm honest, uh, I've often tried to direct them towards relaxation groups or yoga, you know, uh, stretching type um activities but when i was looking through i mean there's a there's a, a great uh, systematic review by oswald Al. again i can link that to this if it's of interest but um they were looking at a variety of different papers and a, a few of them were comparing running to relaxation groups and running to stretching um in terms of measuring uh, mental health markers and and all of the studies that are included in that review the running was coming out better um, and then when you look at certain, you know, one or two papers that show that short runs can have a benefit that maybe we should be um, counselling our clients that are able to run for 10 minutes, that it might be a, a effective tool for them, you know, if they are going through a stressful period or tough time at work or, you know, dealing with a, a breakup or something like that, you know, a, a life event that doesn't necessarily need a, a trained um, referral a, a mental health professional but you know they're just talking to you in, in in a session so yeah that's that's something that um, even though I've been treating runners for years and years um, and treating non-runners alongside them it's, it's not been a go-to for me which perhaps now I, I will be more inclined to say you know why don't you just go and run around the block for 10 minutes and, and see how that feels rather than just you know suggesting yoga or mindfulness or relaxation meditation that kind of thing mm. I'll be very interested to check out that paper. That sounds fascinating. The And I guess based on the results of that paper, it seems like some populations are just coming across that finding accidentally. It seems like they've just stumbled upon running as an extremely effective way of managing their mental health. And I've um, come across a ton of people who haven't been runners and have been really affected um, mentally and then discovered running and seen that that's had a, a profound um, benefit to them and their, their well-being. And so if, again, it's, it's worth a trial for a lot of people. I think there might be some people that might try running and find it overly stimulating rather than like a relaxing endorphins running high. They might get too attached to other particular 
factors of running that might not be effective for them, but it's so easy just to try, just to go for a mm. run for 10 minutes and see how things feel. Very low risk, very just like high reward if it ends up paying off. Yeah, and we've, al we've almost been running that trial, you know, and certainly in the UK. I don't think you guys have had quite strict lockdowns as yet, but um, during our initial lockdown that was, that was relatively harsh, um, it's estimated that almost up to 7 million people took up running you know, as a, you know, as a new activity, um, which was almost equal to the amount that were doing it prior to lockdown. Um, and, you know, if you, if you look at some of the data coming from the national surveys, there was some surveys done by the Macmillan Cancer um, Charity over here, and it was showing that, you know, as many as a third of them were using the running as a, a means of improving their relaxation and, and improving their stress levels. Um, and I think about 20% of them found that it had a calming effect on them overall so we've almost kind of been running a, a trial in that sense by taking away all other exercise avenues and uh, you know apart from kind of outdoor activities that you can do on your own um joe wicks videos that people were doing in their lounge but yeah a, a, a massive percentage of people took up running um and i'm certainly seeing a lot of them injured now you know a lot more noobs um than i would normally see uh, but yeah, so we've almost been kind of running that across the globe. And uh, I think it'd be yeah. interesting to go back and look at the data after in a few years. Time. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow and see how that how that did pan out fully well it's a fascinating time in history to for the world to go into a lockdown gyms to be closed but also uh, a time in history where mental health can be like very prominent because we're quite highly stressed understandably and some people like can be resourceful enough to create workout sessions in their house but you know that availability to go out for a run is just that barrier to entry is just so minimal and i i've definitely seen um runners those newbies that you're talking about just break down i had it was like the first couple of weeks of lockdown and i saw a runner who was a, a gym goer for quite a long time and was unable to do that didn't have any equipment at home and he said that he'd just go out for a run and just see how far he could run. And then he ended up with um, calf strains on both sides. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, that's what's going to happen when you try and see how far you can go, just trying to test yourself. And it's a, a prime example of what not to do. And so, yeah, definitely seeing that um, throughout this, this, I guess, whole trial of the world as they've gone into lockdown and more people have taken up running. I wanted to, I've seen as well, so I'm just going to have a drink of water. I always eat almonds for some reason as soon as I start recording and then it just gets stuck in my throat. <laughs> Very good for you though. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> the other side of being so... Having running as an avenue for helping your mental health is when you are injured and then it's forced to limit your running or stop your running in general and that can have obviously quite a lot of drawbacks have you seen that as a, a fairly common presentation when you're working with runners 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, I think injuries in general aren't great for your mental health. I'm I'm recovering from a calf strain, funnily enough, um, that I sustained two weeks ago. And um, so I, I'm really limited in my training now. So, yeah, I think having an injury stopping you, especially if you use exercise regularly as a way of, of you know, relaxing and de-stressing, um, then if that's suddenly, and often with an injury, it's, it can be immediate, can't it? I mean, a lot of running injuries are overuse and they kind of build up over time. But some of them, like like the calf strains you mentioned, they're quite, they can be reasonably immediate. So that um, routine that you mentioned is suddenly disrupted. And um, if you've been using that as a way and means and tool to relax and you don't really um, you're not that flexible in using other ways of doing that, then it, can, it yeah, it could be an issue for some people, um, particularly if they have a a, a bit of a obsessive um, relationship with running as well. So it's all well and good while the the health is there and the and the injuries aren't there, but you know what do you do then if that's taken away? So uh, yeah, I think that can be a, a concern. Yeah, I listened um, to your interview on another podcast with. Um, you're alongside Tom Goom as um, as guests, and I think it was he he that highlighted the the fact that it's you're you're getting affected physically because you're in pain, you're injured. No one likes being injured. Pain is very closely um, linked with despair and that side of things. But you're at the at the same time you're taking away that mental side of things the psychological stuff so it's very much a battle of mental and psychological and the combination of those two things can just be a really tough experience and can lead to you know just ignoring it and saying i i need to run so i don't care if i am injured i am going to get out there because i need this for my sanity for my well-being for my mental health and then that's obviously not good for the injury if you're if you're continuously overdoing things and so they're left in a really tricky situation and uh those drawbacks can be really like it starts to affect you mentally because if that injury carries on and becomes quite chronic then you're 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 trying to face this this battle this uphill battle of you know trying to provide a mental outlet and like you say like a de-stress outlet when injured it can be particularly puzzling yeah, it's tough. It's no, it's no doubt about it. I mean, um, sounds a bit cheesy, but I, I, I try and frame stuff like that as a as an opportunity. You know, um, a lot of runners neglect the strength side of things, so it can give you can you can try and get them on side that you know this is an opportunity now for us to really um, build your baseline of strength. I often will give them you know body weight goals to hit, um, so that they've got a target so you're not just telling them to go down the gym and train but you're, you're giving them um, body weight criteria to hit in terms of lunges and squats and stuff like that um talk about cross training if they don't normally cross train say you know cross training itself has a preventative effect in reducing injury risk a lot of the time in runners um you tend to see less injuries in triathletes compared to marathon runners for example um most of the, uh, 70 60 70 percent of their injuries tend to be running related in the triathletes as well so you can educate them on all of this and get them going with some cycling or some swimming you know um in terms of getting their heart rate up so i'll often try and replicate their routine so if they do uh speed sessions on a tuesday you know we'll, we'll get them to do some sprints in the pool on a tuesday if they do a long steady state run on a saturday we'll get them to go out on a long bike ride for a you know a similar time 
Um, so I think you can you can try and frame it in certain ways, and and it takes a bit of adjustment, you know. Like um, we all have our preferred methods of exercising, but if you are um, positively affected by exercise in that way, then you can get your fix, for want of a better word, <laughs> in different ways, you know. So prior to lockdown, I, I was uh, very much into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts, boxing, you know, kind of martial arts and contact sports. And I felt that I needed that kind of level of intensity to get my um, release. But, I, I, you know, you do 400 meter efforts, um, there's, no, there's nothing much more taxing than that. So you can find um, levels of intensity and stuff in in different sports, different avenues, different activities. You can do it a variety of ways. So um, it's very rare that I'll, I'll have a runner that does nothing when they're injured, you know. I actually find that it's more common in other sports, you know, um, particularly football, rugby, that kind of thing. When they get injured, then it's a, uh, a, a, you tend to see the wheels come off a little bit more and they're drinking the beer and eating the junk food, whereas mm -hmm. runners, I generally find runners a little bit more disciplined anyway. Um, from that side of things and if you give them goals like you mentioned earlier they like a program they like goals they like um, a lot of organization around their training and you just need to make sure that that's present you know like um, in other ways strength training cross training um, mm. keep their routine as untouched as you can um, I've even had them doing walking in their running kit you know um, if they can walk as a way of, of just seeing that they're doing stuff using their steps per day and increasing them so I think you know there's a variety of ways after you get over that initial um, hit that you, you're not going to be running for a while or you know you're out of action for however many weeks I, I'm looking at five six weeks for my calf and I just frame that, oh, Christmas is coming, you know, I've I've got a, a few events, I've got a few podcasts to do, I'll just really focus on those and um, I'll work on my um, strength and, and stuff like that. You just need to try and find a way of, of reframing these things. Hmm. It makes me think of a question as you're talking about that. Uh, there's been tons of episodes that I've done in the past around like acceptable levels of symptoms when you are running. So you might be injured with say a calf strain and you might be able to do limited amounts of running if symptoms allow. And for most cases, you know, the research hovers around less than a four out of 10 or sometimes less than a three out of 10, depending on the injury, um, provided that it returns to baseline symptoms no worse by the next day and following like just some general guidelines. Um, but obviously the tailored approach is the most accurate. But if someone is really battling if they're saying, look, Glenn, I need this for my mental health. I, I really need to get out there. And they're not really tolerating a lot of um, running, like low amounts of running. Are you able just to be a bit more lenient with what's allowed? Or if we're weighing up the risk versus reward, like the the risk is quite high to have them just sitting at home can we allow a bit more flexibility, a bit more leniency in their, their exercise if they say, I don't want, I can't find any other alternatives that give me the same benefit? I think it really comes down to the injury. Yeah, so um, those guidelines you mentioned there, I've always used those for tendinopathies. Yeah, so the four out of 10 and 24 hour rule, I apply more to tendinopathies. So um, if I was my own client and I, I had a quite a dramatic acute calf injury 
no way I could run in the first few weeks. It's just not you know, advisable. And if I did, I'd 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 be putting myself backwards. Um, you know, you look at anterior knee pain, for example. I'm I'm a little bit more conservative there, so I tend to use a lower VAS scale and a, a lower time to settle. So more like sixty minutes to settle and. Um, maybe two out of 10 on the VAS. So it kind of depends on the injury. And it, it, it brings to mind a client I've got right now who um, is saying exactly what you're saying, basically. Um, and he's presenting with a kind of worsening medial shin pain. So we're having a constant discussion every time I see him that, you know, the risks outweigh the reward there. If he keeps running on it, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. You know, like it, it can develop into a stress fracture. So it depends on the injury, I think, is the is the the key there if someone had an achilles tendon problem for example and it was going up to five six out of ten um settling within the 24 hours it's above our four and they're saying look if i don't do that i'm you know i'm gonna divorce my wife or something like that then that's acceptable for me if it's acceptable for them you know there's there's, there's relatively um little risk there of it of it becoming a, a rupture or something like that so um, you know, if it's a tendinopathy, which is what I think those rules are, were designed around, then I think we can have more leeway. If it's a, a bony stress response, then I think we'd, we'd have to have less leeway. Um, if there's a suspected stress fracture, again, I think we have to have less leeway. Um, so I think it's really dependent on the on the condition, you know, that, you, that you're treating. Mm. And I suppose... If someone is in that situation, you might want to dive into exactly why you why running is so good for mental health. Is it getting out of the house? Is it getting fresh air? Is it going into nature? Is it um, the social aspect? Is there several um, components there that really hit home for you and why that's of benefit? And then you can maybe try and tailor something includes all those things maybe it's a high intensity maybe they just love pushing themselves and so you can try and find an alternative maybe it's just hiking or walking or you know getting involved socially with something else that still can reap those rewards for their mental health and uh, still keep their injuries at bay and still um, you know keep proactive with their recovery but still sort of on the mental side of things um, still benefiting yeah yeah i think you're i think you're, you're spot on there i mean um if you look at the overwhelming uh, markers that they use when they're looking at improvements following on from running um it's normally reducing anxiety levels um reducing depressive um symptoms increasing mood um these are the, the the factors that often get quoted in the papers and stuff like that so there's there's usually a clear link there right like if if they're running even though it's causing them further harm it must be that the um, effect of not running outweighs that risk for them so the anxiety levels are becoming unmanageable the depression is becoming unmanageable the low mood um, so if you come across clients, i think it's a really important point that we we need to highlight actually if you're coming across clients that are continually going against your advice and they're unable to stop running um, even though it is detrimental to their health, um, then, you know, maybe that is a sign that we need to refer them on somewhere else to get to the root cause as to why they need to run to that extent. You know, there's a few key markers that might highlight what you would call a, a unhealthy relationship with running. And I think running, even though it's detrimental to your health and you've been advised by a health professional not to, is probably one of those key signs, you know, um, obsessing over running 
to the point that it's affecting your work, um, to the point that it's affecting your relationships, um, to the you know effect that it's affecting your own mental health, and you get extreme withdrawal symptoms if you're not able to do that. I think these are all key points of, you know, we can't just say running. Everyone's got a completely healthy relationship with running. This is maybe where we identify those that perhaps um, don't. You know, so um, if you look at exercise addiction, um, it's not really a fully recognised condition, um, but the terminology they use is extreme withdrawal symptoms if you're not doing your activity. Um, participating in the activity to the extent that it's detrimental to your personal life. Um, in the general population, that's less than 1%, but in the running population, that's been estimated to be around 8 9%. So um, not not a massive percentage, but big enough, you know. So um, I think these are really key points that uh, might start to direct us towards, like you say, addressing actually what's the root cause? Why do you need to run so much, you know? Um, uh, why do you what's the underlying issue and we're you know myself certainly I'm not a, a skilled like I say I'm not a psychologist I'm not a um I'm not a, a counselor or a psychotherapist so that's maybe the time when I'm starting to say you know maybe you should you, know, you need to talk to someone another professional about those aspects of your presentation yeah I'm really glad you mentioned that um seeking help when it, when it's required seeking additional help is um something that someone might not consider but definitely is worth it if they're particularly struggling with their initial management or any other initial suggestions aren't working absolutely and it takes me back to it was about i don't know more than a year ago i interviewed um heather Husenblast, i think that's how you pronounce it and she has written a ton of papers on exercise addiction and okay. exactly how you're describing like it's uh it's a cause of worry if when you if you actually have withdrawal symptoms if you can't work out say every single day if you miss a day um, and she was talking about cases of some people you know their relationship with their family or their their you know with their spouse it starts to get affected because they need to go to the gym you know several times a day or they um, yeah have those severe withdrawal symptoms if they are unable to participate. Um, obviously extreme examples, but uh, most people can find themselves on the spectrum somewhere of how much it means to them and what their withdrawal symptoms are. And um, is it worth preemptively, if, if someone has recognized they're not injured, they run for mental health and they think that running is their only option or they've, um, they've used running as their only option in the past, is it worth maybe preemptively trying something else now while they're not injured and maybe trying to find an alternative that has similar benefits so that they're kind of broadening their base just in case in the future they are unable or they have to limit or modify their running in a particular way? Would you advise that at all? It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a, some mileage there, right? Like we're all going to get to a point where we can't do our sports to the level that we once could. And you see, I mean, the, the recent evidence I'm running is that actually it's not detrimental to your knee and hip health, which was what the GPs always used to kind of say in in this country to runners that I've treated in the past. And actually marathon runners have less incidence of OA in their hips and knees. So there's no reason why they can't go on into later life and, and, and run. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's always good to have a backup plan, right? So, um, 
in my sport i'm i'm the oldest on the i'm in the top two or three oldest on the on the mats so uh just a visual representation of the kind of people that do my sport makes me think oh actually i need to have a few backup plans and it, i think it's never a bad thing right but um yeah ultimately people do what they enjoy don't they so if they love running and they're not injured it's a real hard sell then to start getting them to <laughs> i know start rowing or something like that with a bit lower impact but um yeah i think it's it's good to have lots of different interests anyway um i think this is the case with our jobs as well like sometimes we identify so much with our our working roles that you certainly see with your clients that have recently recently retired there's a bit of an identity crisis sometimes there you know and if they're really strongly identify as a runner and like you say all their friends are runners often their spouse is a runner they're all in the same running club and then that's taken away that that can be a big a big issue as well um one of the one of the papers actually that i came across was highlighting the ultra marathon runners um that are in a relationship with non um ultra marathon running spouses uh it's a real serious risk factor for their relationship yeah so um they tend to have higher divorce rates than um non ultra marathon running um comparisons and um one of my a delegate on a course I was teaching in South Africa said this to me first uh, years ago now that ultramarathon runners have a higher rate of divorce. I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. And I suppose any support, any sport where you you have to put that many hours in, it's going to put a strain on your home life, right? You probably when you're at home, you're tired, you're recovering, um, you're going out, doing long runs, long cycles, long swims. You're not present, you're not there. And a lot of these guys have taken it up in later life as well, which is a really interesting point that again I hadn't considered so they might have ran park runs uh, you know social club running but a lot of ultra marathon runners are actually in their 40s and 50s so it's like a, a a transition that they might have done 15 years into a relationship so the um, partner feels like you've you've changed you know you're not the same you was never into this before uh, and then there's another aspect to it that perhaps if you've got a unhappy relationship at home or an unhappy circumstances at home that that might trigger you to run more and more ex uh, more extreme training and participate in ultramarathons more more commonly. So that could be the driver, you know. So yeah, it's an interesting area. So I don't have don't have the answer there, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think any sport that people participate in, if they do it to the to the extreme, has the potential to um, have a negative effect on on their home life. Interestingly. Yeah. Single um, ultramarathon runners, middle-aged ultramarathon runners, are happier than um, <laughs> their match controls because they feel more part of a community. They feel less loneliness. They feel less isolation. So, interestingly, the single ones have a, you know it's a real a real bonus for them. So it's only wow. the married ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it comes back to, I guess having a bit of a broader look on life as why you're running is it an escape, is it something else, um, and actually just having more awareness recognition around all aspects of life. And when you're talking about alternatives to exercise and you say, well, sometimes runners just do, they just enjoy running and they only enjoy running. And so it's very hard to get someone out to do something else that they don't enjoy. I also think that people enjoy things that they're good at. And I mm. think that not a lot of people love running when they very first start out because they're not good at it, but then they see improvements in themselves. They see improvements in their fitness. Um, sometimes if they start to 
compare themselves to others and find out they're actually doing all right. I think that's where the enjoyment comes into it a lot. Um, obviously there are cases where people just love the feel of it straight away and they don't care what anyone thinks and they don't really care. But I found to say, when I go to the gym, I enjoy the exercises I'm the best at. And when I, you know, compete in say a triathlon, I enjoy the legs that I'm the best at. And Mm. it's not necessarily, I, I think that they are very closely linked. And so there may be, if someone's said, Brody, I just want to run all that's all I want to do. My, my, Advice is just to give something else a go and see if you notice improvements because you might actually find some enjoyment with it later on because re- very rarely do you enjoy something straight away um, once you once you give it a try. So maybe it's something you can persist with for, say, four to six weeks and if then you still don't enjoy it, then you can say, fine, gave that a try. Um, let's move on to maybe something else or maybe just stick to running or a different variety of running. Um yeah, just thought I'd mention that. Would you would you agree with that at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you can if you can um, get them on board, there's there's obviously benefits there. Um, it puts me in mind of there's a coach near me who trains um, high level snowboarders, and they they train for certain events and peak at certain events, have a, a off season, and he always gets them to take up a new sport off season which I've, I found fascinating. And some of them, are, you wouldn't really tie the two together. So one chap, he got to take up golf and he wants them to get um, quite good at it, you know? So he wants them to do it quite a lot. And I was treating him and I was saying, oh, what was the, what was the reasoning there? And it was a particular, I don't know enough about the sport of snowboarding, but there's a particular trick in the air where they had to rotate and it was driven by the arms and the, the guy didn't have enough rotation in the air. So he figured that the golf swing with the the rotation in the thoracic spine would assist when the guy come back and, and tried that trick again. There was improvements, you know, and then another one wasn't getting enough air, um, enough height. So he got them doing trampolining, you know. So I, I think that, again, if you could tie it back to them. So, you know, I want you to go and do a bit, a bit of time in the gym. I want you to hit these markers, hit these strength markers. Um, and then they come back and try and they notice an improvement in their running form or they're getting injured less or something like that. Then if you can tie it to their sport, then I think you get more, more, um, compliance there, you know? Yeah. Um, and certainly with, um, I found, you, you know, your diehard outdoor runners that are like, Oh, I hate, um, hate being in gyms. Can't be inside. Just got to be outside. Um, if they get injured and it coincides with winter. And then you get them in the gym for a period of time. Like you say, that first few weeks, they're like, oh, it's so boring. It's so dull. And then after a few weeks, they're like, do you know what? I put my podcast in. I listen. You know, I'm not getting rained on. It's actually quite relaxing. I, I quite enjoy it. So I think anything that you give give enough time to, um, if you start seeing those improvements and you start to adapt to it, then um, we're quite pre-programmed to adapt to things, aren't we? Otherwise, we'd always be... Uh, longing after things that we were good at when we were in our 20s so i think it's a, i think it's um a, almost a, a a part of being human that we can try new things and adapt to them and get joy out of them eventually it reminds me of something um richard blagrove another fellow uh uk um health professional was talking about when he's talking about strength and conditioning for runners and how it's the evidence is a bit skimpy when it comes to strength and conditioning for injury prevention, like reducing the risk of running injuries. And the theories there kind of holds up in theoretically, but we just don't have enough robust evidence to um, point to. But he said, like, that might just be 
like icing on the cake, but we have so much research to show that strength and conditioning increases running performance, endurance running performance. And that's usually enough to just get them over the line. And if like, and performance is what a lot of runners care about. And if it does so happen to reduce your risk of injury, then that's just icing on the cake as well. And so um, like, I, I totally agree. There's a lot of compliance there. If you know that there's carryover benefits and if there are, tangible evidence that is really robust in the literature and just results in general. Yeah. And it's so, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's not compelling evidence specific for runners, but I think there's a, a reasonable evidence base for, um, sport in general, that strength training can have an effect in reducing injury risk there. So you can extrapolate it from, from that across to a certain degree. Uh, and when you look at the forces, that are involved in running the demand on the muscle groups, particularly like the calves and the, the quads and stuff like that. It's, it's quite, I, I like to educate my runners in that, you know, like six to eight times body weight through your calf and soleus, you know, are you doing anything near that with your body weight hill raises on two legs, you know? So, um, when you start to educate them on the, the demands of their sport, uh, then the, they start to kind of come around to that way of thinking themselves as well. And then, I think as well that the big sell for strength training, I'm, I'm clearly biased, right? I've, I've been involved in strength training since I was 16 and I've done my undergrad and postgrad research around the areas of strength training. So I recognize that I'm biased, but that was kind of what got me in with runners in the first place. And that's a big part of why I've had success treating them. And I think that, you know, it, there's so many benefits, like you say, to it and it's so little amount of time that they have to put into that side of it to get some benefits so two hours a week say um they could get some pretty quick uh wins with that if they've got a good program and when you look at the amount of time they put into their warm-ups their running mobility drills their runs themselves their cool downs their you know the strength training is such a small part of it for potentially some big gains so it's quite an easy easy sell and all that stuff's useful as well by the way the the warm-ups and the running drills and and the and the different types of running that they do but um a runner will say i haven't got time i haven't got time to strength train um but they're doing you know 40 miles a week and mm. you're saying well you've got quite a lot of time for for that so you know if you were to to do a few less miles and a bit more strength training then you you might you might notice a difference you might notice an improvement you might you know they might not but um uh more often than not i found that there's not many runners that turn around to me after a, you know a three month period of strength training where they've hit all their markers and say i really wish i hadn't done that you know so most of them do feel a benefit in in performance primarily mm. which is what you were saying isn't it this is what happens when you get two like-minded health professionals talking back and forth. We get on a tangent and it just takes off and we're not really focusing on the <laughs> mental health side of things anymore. Um, but Glenn, as we finish up, is there any kind of final takeaways around those um, with mental health, whether they're injured, uninjured, um, anything that we haven't discussed already that you think might need to be said? I think the main thing for me is... Um acknowledging that, that it's overwhelmingly a positive activity to do for your mental health yeah so uh, the the paper that i'm going to link to you is looking at over 116 papers and um almost all of them found positive benefits for mental health markers so you know we've spoke about the obsessive and addictive risks and stuff like that but that, that you know the overwhelming evidence is that running is a good addition for um a routine or a tool to manage your mental health uh, or to help manage your mental health. 
I think the the key points are you've mentioned your guy that just ran every day until he couldn't run anymore. Running carries with it a, a relatively high injury risk, actually. So if you look at the injuries per thousand hours of running compared to um, weight training in the gym, um, it's exponentially uh, greater in, in the running group. It's like 30 times higher in some um, papers, a uh, higher injury rate than a lot of other sports that you'd expect, CrossFit, which often gets a bad uh, press Olympic weightlifting, you know, these have all got significantly lower injury rates. Obviously, the injuries are probably a bit more dramatic when they do occur. Um, so if someone's interested in starting running as a way of helping deal with stress and strain and or they're not comfortable to go back into crowded gyms and stuff like that, just make sure they do it in a in a sensible way to try and avoid getting an injury and putting a, a stop to it before it's even gained some traction. Um there's many ways of doing that couch to 5k programs you know there's so many resources available now for people to do that in a sensible way rather than just going out every day making sure they have recovery days making sure they sleep all of this stuff that we know really really well um and then you know there is that very small percentage that maybe have a unhealthy relationship we're running in terms of um addictive traits and obsessive and over it and um you know severe withdrawal symptoms if they can't do it and i think just being aware of that small group and and maybe um advising them as we've discussed that there's other ways of dealing with their mental health and maybe re referring them on to gp or um, other health care professionals that can help them if you do spot them in your in your clinical practice yeah is that where you'd recommend people go first if they're wanting additional help if you know, running's limited to a certain degree or they feel like that they do have an unhealthy relationship with running or it's affecting their, their mental side of things is going to a general practitioner, just their local family doctor or something. Is that the, a, a good first step to make? I think so. Um, I, I would say, you know, I've been practicing around 16 years now and this is by far the most overwhelmed I've seen our uh, general practitioners. So they might, you know, struggle to to certainly to be seen face to face, but I would I would always advise that as the first port of call. Uh, a good GP can sometimes give a diagnosis. You know, they can medicate if that's appropriate. They can link them up with local support groups. They can um, refer them on for talking therapies. There might be a bit of a waiting list there, but they can do it. You know, so I think that's a good starting point. And then if you if you can look up uh, hook up with local um psychologists and stuff like that then obviously that's all the better but i would definitely involve the gp uh, if you were concerned at that stage uh, in the uk you know that's certainly our system how that would how that would be best at what i would do in practice yeah great and very much looking forward to that the link to the paper you'll send and while we're on that topic um social media links like instagram i know you have um physio academy and <clears throat> physioacademyonline.co.uk. Um, any other links would that you would like me to include if people want to find out more? Yeah, so I'm probably most active on Instagram now. So that's Physio Academy on Instagram. I'm Hemel Physio on Twitter. Um, Physio Academy Online is like a collection of, um, a collaboration of different clinics, running clinics, physio clinics, and um, a, a podcast that we, we do on there occasionally. And um, I think the, the, the resource I'd like to direct people to the most at, at present, I'll, I'll obviously link the papers and I'll, I'll try and link the mental health talk. Um, but we are currently running our two-day running course for free. So 
um, the whole the whole aim of that is to try and raise some money for the mine charity. So, um, as I mentioned at the start, I've been sitting around. I've, I've been working. I've got a full case list, but from a teaching side of things, I've only been doing webinars and and um, virtual courses. So, whilst that's not looking like it's going to change anytime soon, so I thought I'd release our most popular two-day course. Um, it's totally free, and the contribution to Mind Charity is optional, so you don't have to donate. But any donations are gratefully received, and um, we'll probably hold that open till. Um, February or March or something like that so it'll be a limited period of time so I've, I've, any any physios any therapists any coaches that are interested or deal with runners it's a great resource it goes through assessment uh, running analysis um, etiology strength and conditioning programs stuff like that so I think there's a lot a lot there absolutely and uh, I think that's right up the alley with the the listeners who are on the who are listening to here just want to train smarter want to learn more want to build up their running iq i think that course is fantastic and i have checked it out i do highly recommend it and like you said it just gives you the option if you want to donate and i think it goes to a great cause i've made my um my contribution to that just a couple of days ago so um highly recommend that people get on board and check that out and it's for a good cause nonetheless and you get to build upon your running iq so um, thanks for that offer, Glenn. That's brilliant that your your heart's in the right place. And thanks for coming on and sharing all your knowledge. Oh, pleasure. Thanks. Thank you again for having me. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.